0: glad that you guys are with us today whether you're here with us on campus or whether you're joining us online we're so grateful to have you as we worship together uh, if you've got your Bibles with you go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 6 in just a minute we're gonna start reading and we're gonna jump all the way down to verse 20 is where we're gonna pick up this morning uh, a couple things going on that that I'm really personally excited about uh, number one I just want to go and tell you all this we, I don't know if you were paying attention to the announcements or not but this Wednesday night why gonna be going out to the bowling alley hanging out with sixth through twelfth graders. I can't wait, right? My plan is to see I'm not a good bowler, but I'm gonna act like I am, all right? And, and to have some good old-fashioned competition with some of our middle school and high school students. Uh, I don't know that I'm gonna put myself up there and compete with the high schoolers, but for all you middle schoolers, right, it's on, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the lanes with the bumpers. That's all I'm saying. Y'all don't get that, but, but I get that right so looking forward to that. Hey parents drop them all $5 for a couple of hours be a great time that we're going to have. But but also, um, I don't know if you noticed, but we're having a baptism class. Now that's new for us, and so I want to explain some of that to you guys. Uh, if, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you would like to follow through in baptism, what we're doing across the board, from kids to adults, is saying we've got this baptism class for you. Pastor Dave is going to lead it. And, and we just want to talk to you about what a relationship with the Lord, what that means, what baptism means, why God calls us to that while we do this, and so you have the opportunity to go through and be a part of that class with Him. It is going to be hosted through Zoom, and so whether you're at home or you're here this morning, we'll connect you through there, and then we will schedule after that as a baptism that we can come together and celebrate what God has done in your life and look forward to what God is going to do in and through you. So uh, if, if you're someone and you're thinking about that, you've given your life to the Lord, but you haven't followed through in believer's baptism is a wonderful opportunity and excited as Pastor Dave is building that culture into us. You know that, and and really here's what the class is all about. This can be a side message, right? It's not about saying, hey, look at us, look how many people we baptized, but it's about making sure that we're continuing the discipleship process. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that if that's where you are. So as we look at Luke chapter 6, there's going to be a a theme that I want us to to look at this morning. It's what kind of every point is going to come out of, and it is going to be this. What today we want to look at, today what we want to embrace, is being versus doing. Right? Every, every, Every world religion has an aspect of it of if you want to be pleasing to God, if you want to be blessed by God, then here's what it means. Do this. Here are rules. Be more obedient than not. Do more that's right than do more that is bad. And in that as you do, that's where God is going to be pleased, that's where God is going to be glorified. But within Christianity, what makes us different in a relationship with, with a God that we can know, that we can interact with, is that it's not going to be about the, the doing, even that's a part of it, right? Like we want to live a life of obedience, but where it is found, where it's rooted in is, is being, that, that this is who I am versus this is what I do, and when this is who I am, uh, it begins to come out of me of the, the characteristics of God and, uh, and obedience of God. And so like what what people can do is they can do a bunch of religious things, but it doesn't make them who they are. For, for, For example, like I play golf maybe twice a year. And so when I go out to play golf, I take my clubs, I put on a golf shirt, I've got the golf shoes, I've got a golf hat, and on the journey from my truck to the tee box, I look like a golfer. I've done all the right things. I even tee the ball up well. But the moment I grab the club and I address it and I start my backswing, it's very evident this guy is not a golfer, right? It's not who I am, even though I can do the things that would make you think that I am. I can go to a pharmacy today and stand in the the cold and and flu section and I can look at all the different medicines and I can read the boxes and I can diagnose how I'm feeling, which by the way, I'm not feeling bad today, right? But if I was and I could diagnose my symptoms and I could choose the the -the over-the-counter medicine that I need, but but here's the deal, that doesn't make me a, a pharmacist. It doesn't make me a doctor because I'm able to have some actions that make me look like I know that I'm doing and here's where this comes with Christianity. So many of us within our life, what we're trying to do is, is skip the who we need to be and just start what we need to do. And as Jesus is going to call a group of people to, to follow him, where he's going to begin within there is them becoming who they need to be, resting in who they are. Because our, 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 our faith where we're going to find ourselves. is not going to be based in a, in, in a list of religious rules, but it's going to be found and we're going to be based in Christ. and We're just going to be, be rooted in. So, so in, in chapter 6, uh, the, the parts that we're, we're, we're not going to read, but we're just going to look at real r- briefly. Jesus is, is walking and begins to teach. He, the Pharisees are going to bring up some things that Jesus' disciples are doing that even Jesus does. And he, as he interacts with them at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus is going to declare, like, hey, here's who I am, right? Like, I am divine, and I have authority to say. This is, this is important. Jesus says, I have the authority to define and to say what pleases God. And then Jesus retreats, and he goes off by himself, and he, and he prays, and he comes back. And he appoints his his closest group of disciples that are going to follow him during his earthly ministry. We're going to see the the 12 that are chosen, and Luke lists them by name. And at the very last one, he's going to say, Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. And so Jesus, as he is living his life, is going to follow and, and call the, the men that are going to follow him. And in that is the reminder of the cross, of the work that Jesus will do so that we may come into a relationship with him, is that reminder through, through Judas Iscariot. And then in verse 16, it says that, that Jesus looks around and he begins to teach. And, and we're going to refer to this, I, I read a guy that referred to this as, as the sermon on the plain, because in verse 17 it said he stood on level ground. And what we're going to notice is if you've heard of before, maybe you haven't heard of the Sermon on the Plain, but you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. And there's going to be some similarities between the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount, but there's going to be some differences as well. Jesus lists, or or Luke lists a couple of cities where the people there are present. One thing that's interesting is in the Sermon on the Mount, what we find is a largely Jewish audience, but on the Sermon on the Plain, what we're going to find is largely a, a Gentile audience. And Jesus, he teaches through this, it's, it's, it's shorter, but he's going to focus in on what we're going to call the blessings and the woes based off of the words of Christ. And so let's begin by looking at the blessings, starting in verse 20. It says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh blessed are you when people hate you when when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the son of man rejoice in that day And leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And so Jesus is going to describe what it means to be blessed. And just as he did in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus draws some some areas of life where we would say, I don't necessarily know that that that's the blessing of life that, that I'm going to choose. Right? Poverty isn't necessarily what we would think of as a blessing. Being, being mocked and, and, and being persecuted, you and I, that we don't naturally look at that after a long day of experiencing abuse and say, you know, that truly was a blessing. We don't hit that point with, with hunger pains with, within us and think, oh man, I sure do feel blessed today. And so we want to begin to understand, like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And if we're not careful, what, what we can look at is we can take this on and say, this is what I must do in order to be blessed. But here's what I want us to notice in Jesus' words, all right? And, and and my grammar may be off on this, but but I hope it uh, conveys what we're trying to get to. I don't do blessed. I am blessed, right? I don't do blessed. Jesus says that we are are blessed in the verbs in which he uses we begin to see blessing as what is given to us as what's imparted to us is what god is giving us and so you and i don't figure out what we need to do so that we can be blessed but instead blessing is is who we are so that i am blessed I i mean think about this in his words jesus says like don't don't go make yourself be poor he says he says i am poor you are poor. I don't do hungry. I, I am hungry. And, and I love this one. I don't do weeping. I, I weep. And here's what I mean by this, right? Like when, when, when we talk about weeping, where does weeping come from? Right? right. Weeping doesn't come from a, a, your external uh, uh, means in order to get you to, to weep weeping is an is an outside reaction to internally what is happening to you right like i don't I, I don't weep because i because i hurt my arm i weep because i hurt the arm and my body reacts to the pain that is with, within me and so weeping comes with from within me is is based in in who i am i don't do hate here i i am hated We begin to see this understanding of of what Jesus is pointing to as he's got this group that is following him. It says like, right, Jesus has just called these 12 to follow him and he looks up at them is what the scripture says. And he begins to define who they are if they are in him. He defines what, what blessing looks like. And everything that Jesus is going to do, everything that Jesus is going to pour into them is going to be counterculture from what they've experienced and from what you and I, if we're honest, what we experience and oftentimes what we, what we even want. So what's Jesus talking about? Jesus says that we're, we're, we're poor and what this means is, is that we're poor and there's this spiritual poverty where we're desperate for God. Jesus says that we are blessed if we are hungry, and what we are longing for is to be satisfied by, by God and God alone. Jesus says that we are blessed if, if, if weeping is, is, is who we are because we are discontent with the sin of ourselves and the sin of this world, and what we long for is, is godly sorrow, that we are blessed if we are hated because what is in us produces something. That produces the obedience because who we are. You see, Jesus is is pointing us to that that a blessed life is not the life that that we earn, but a blessed life is the life that is given by God to us. It's the gift of of grace that that, that was in our lives. And so Jesus looks at him and says, you want to be blessed? You want this to be the markings of of who you are? Then, Then this is what this means. And he's gonna continue on in, in this message of the Sermon on the Plain. He's gonna define that and give some practical steps for people who say, I want to pursue a life that looks like this. And he's gonna tell them where it's found. But it's not only the, the blessings, but, but Jesus gives the, the woes as well. I wanna look down at verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Right? We see the opposite of what was before. What was before right, is what they did to the prophets. They persecuted the men of truth and the women of truth but not so with the, with the false prophets. Here's what I want you to notice with the woes. All of the woes that Jesus gives are temporary. Every single one of them. Money and wealth, temporary. Satisfaction from food, temporary. Laughter, temporary. Those who speak well of you, temporary. In every single instance, every woe that Jesus warns us about are the things that are temporary. I was listening to a pastor a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was waiting outside for, for a meeting to, to take place. I couldn't go into the building yet, and, and I was listening to a sermon, and, and the pastor was talking about this, and, and here's what he said, and, and I'd never thought of it this way, and it just impacted me greatly. He said, what we sinfully fill our lives with and sinfully find our satisfaction in will one day end up in garage sales and landfills. blew me away, blew me away. That one day all of those things that I value, those things that I find comfort in, will one day sit in my driveway and I'll try to negotiate a quarter either way with someone. That one day when I pass from this life to eternity with Christ, What those who are behind, what my son and daughter will do is they'll go through the stuff, keep some things that they want, and drop the rest off at a goodwill or a landfill. Right? Those things that we sinfully find our satisfaction in, those things that we sinfully find our joy in will one day be the next generation's trash, That's what Jesus says right? You find your satisfaction in your wealth. What if the market crashes? You find your satisfaction in in food or or pleasures of the body. Well, what happens when that moment is over? You find your satisfaction in, in the happiness of this earth and in the laughing that comes from that. Well, what happens when you mourn? You find your satisfaction in the approval of people. And what happens when they turn on you all those things that we've accumulated all of those things that we've earned all of those things that we worked hard for Jesus says if we find it in this it's worthless it's worthless so then Jesus what do we need to do what does our life need to look like so that we can be blessed I don't know about you, but as I read this, I begin to drift away from the concept of being, of being found in who I am. And I say, Jesus, then, then this is what I want to do. Jesus, I want to have a life that's satisfied in you and in you alone. And what does this begin to, to look like? And I can imagine that the people who are with Jesus, these disciples, who many of them have walked away from everything that they hold dear, they're kind of wondering, like, okay, this is what I signed up for. I signed up for hunger. I signed up for persecution. I signed up for poverty. Jesus, this is what I signed up for. Then what does the life look like? What do I need to do? Jesus, what is the standard? And here's what I want to show as we, we look at verse 27. If we're going to live this life in our white knuckled, pull myself up by my own bootstraps, this is who I, what I'm going to do in order to live a blessed life. Jesus is going to give us an impossible request. But if we're going to live our lives through the transforming power of the gospel, about it's who I am and what will come from that, then we stand a chance for the hope. Look at verse 27, the impossible request. Jesus but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And so at the very beginning, what Jesus does, is you want your your life to be one that glorifies God. You want to end this, to have something. If this is who you are, then I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna challenge you to do the one thing that you can't fake, love, love. I wanna challenge you with something. Find a difficult person, and in your own ability, in who you are, try to love them. Don't try to just do nice things for them. Try to legitimately love them. I'm telling you, it's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. Why? Because we're too selfish to muster that up within ourselves. But we begin to think think through what they've done to us, what they've they've said about us, the complications of our life. And so Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies, right? Love them, the one thing that you and I can't fake. And so Jesus says, if this is who you're going to be about, then what you need to see, what you need to experience is you need to experience a transformation that comes from me and me alone, he so what begins to happen within this is, is the internal love is going to produce something so that you do good for them. Why? Because it's who you are. That you seek to, to, to bless them. And here's the definition of blessing so that we all understand this, right? Blessed means that we have something that we don't deserve. And so for the people who make your life miserable, What you begin to long for them when you love them is blessing, even though they don't deserve to be blessed. But it's what you desire for them anyways. And then Jesus says, and and you pray for them. You pray for those who abuse you. This goes completely counter to everything outside of Christ that you and I are. And Jesus is going to address that the only way that this can happen, right? Think about the miracles of last week. is the miracle that begins to happen through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? But you love your enemies. In that, then you have your reward. Because your reward is not found in what you do, but it is found in who you are. Look at, look at verse 43. Jesus Explains what this looks like in in the life of an individual. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth Speaks. right? so we're gonna we're gonna have an agricultural lesson. All right. Now nothing groundbreaking here, right? Like I'm not uh, I haven't gone to school for this, but here's some things that we know just because of life, all right? Dead trees, number one, don't produce fruit. They don't. Dead trees don't produce fruit, alive trees produce fruit, but also this false trees, right, do not produce fruit either. I read a pastor this week who was who was talking about this. And here's the the phrase that he used is as you and I, when we be trying to muster up fruit from ourselves in our own ability. And he he described it as stapling fruit. He said, You're fruit staplers. And what we're trying to do is to take something that is dead, to take something that's not alive, and to manufacture and put something on it so that the world looks at that and says, that's fantastic. So it'd be like this, I kind of live in scrub oak country. I don't know if you guys have scrub oaks in your yard, but I got a, a lot of scrub oak kind of toward the back of our property and I, and I hate them. And every so often you gotta go and you gotta cut it down and it feels like as soon as you cut it down, right? In three days there's one bigger than where the one that you cut was, right? So imagine this, imagine if you came into my yard and, and I, what I've done is I've taken a scrub oak and I cut it down and I threw it to the back, but now I take it and I, and I dig a hole and I, and, I, and I put it down in the hole and I fill it with dirt and you see the, the, the crooked bins, and there's no leaves that are on it. And I go to the store, and I get a bag of, of apples and a, and a bag of oranges and a, and a bag of pears and, and maybe because whatever, a, a few watermelons. And I come and I, and I grab the bag of apples and I staple all of them to the tree. And then I go and I get the oranges, right? I don't even get a different tree. And I staple the oranges to that tree. And then I get the pears and I staple those to the tree. And then it'd be really impressive because I'm really good at all these things that I'm going to do, right? I take the watermelons and I attach them to the tree. And then I call you back to my yard and I say, well, look at this. Look at what I've been able to do. Look at what I've been able to accomplish. Look at this tree that is dead. Look at this tree which has no roots. Look at this tree that doesn't even bear fruit. But look at what I've been able to do. I've been able to take apples and make them. And I've been able to take pears and make them. And I've been able to take oranges and make them. And I've been to take watermelons and, and place them on there. And what begins to be seen, and what begins to know as the South Carolina sun bakes down on it is all of this is, is fake. It's all manufactured. It's all put in our own ability on something that is dead. And the truth is that when you and I say, that in and of myself, before love exists in who I am, I'm just going to muster up and fake some generosity. I'm just going to muster up and I'm going to fake some compassion. I'm just going to muster up and fake some purity. So on the outside, that people can see what I've done, people can see what I've accomplished, people can see what I do, but the truth is, it's dead fruit on a false tree. And that. And that is our reward. You know, the phrase, fake it till you make it, right, doesn't apply to the gospel. It doesn't apply. That the true transformation of who we are comes from the power of God changing the heart of man. That's why scripture as Paul writes and describes his situation, he says that what the power of the gospel does is it takes a dead man and it makes him alive again. Right. That's why we begin to see that what the gospel does, according to Scripture, is it takes a dead heart, it takes a heart of, of stone, and that what God does is he removes the heart of stone and he gives a heart of flesh, a soft heart, that can work and move and be transformed. That it all begins not with you and I trying to figure out how do we check the fake religious boxes and put the fruit up on the tree, but how we say that, Lord, within me, Lord, that this is what I need you to do, that in my very being, Lord, transform me, that this is who I am. Because you can walk into work tomorrow with a thing of coffee and a donut and walk to that person who you can't stand and give a false Pharisee sense of love. Or you can pray that God will take that who was your enemy and transform your heart and bring from you love that glorifies God. Jesus closes this this last part with with one last teaching that, that I want you to look at. Verse 46 he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? know, let's pause here for a second, okay? Because you're like, well, you just said it's about being. It's not about doing, right? Well, I want us to talk about the obedience that God's going to call us to. The foundational obedience that needs to exist in our life. That's what Jesus is pointing to. Verse 47 Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. The key, everyone who comes to me, Jesus says. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus talks about the same situation happening to two things that look very similar, but there's one difference the foundation. The house that that my family and I lived in before we lived in the house that we live in now. I want want to be honest with you. It was the most beautiful house that I've ever lived in. When you would pull up to that house and you would stand outside and you would look at that house. It was a gorgeous brick house with a detached garage with a breezeway. It had trim on the outside of the house over the brickwork to make it look very ornate. And You would walk in and it had high ceilings and it had gorgeous hardwood floors and it had uh, the, the handrails and everything on the walls that you could possibly imagine that it was there. It had a beautiful staircase with, with fancy chandeliers and light fixtures and everything that was there. And when it came time for, for us to put this house onto the market, we decided that before we do this, let's, let's find out if there's anything wrong with this gorgeous house, with this beautiful house, with this house that as you walk up, so many people would want this house. And so someone came and did an inspection for us, and I want to tell you, we got some bad news. You see, there wasn't anything wrong with the doors and the, and the windows. We had taken care of those there wasn't anything wrong with the eye appeal. What was wrong with the house? And the guy brought me over to the right side of the house. And he said, I want to show you something. And he brought me over and there was a, there was a crack that ran all the way from the bottom where the grass touched the house all the way to the top window. And I'd never noticed it before. And he said, you got a problem. You got to get this crack fixed. And I said, well, that's not a problem, right? Like, like we can get some grout, we can get something, like we can patch this and make this work. And he said, no, you can't. Nothing you can do to patch this, to, to make this work from the outside. The problem with the house is underneath. The problem with the house is the foundation. The problem with this house is it's not structurally sound. And I remember thinking, well, what about the chandeliers? What about the windows? What about the doors? What about the paint on the wall? What about the decorations? What about the hardwood? What about all of this? But the truth was, none of those things mattered if the foundation wasn't set. Jesus described a situation where two houses were built. And it didn't matter that in both houses, It had good walls. It it, it didn't matter that the roof on both of them kept the water from coming in. It didn't matter that the doors would swing as they should. It didn't matter that the windows were positioned in the correct way to where the afternoon breeze would, would, would fill the home. It didn't matter that the floor was where the floor would be if the foundation was off. So he said, "The one whose life will stand, the one whose life will hold true, is the one whose foundation was found, and foundation was found in him." You see, you and I, so often in our life, what we spend our life focusing in on, in our relationship with God, in our faith, are the outside things. The things that people can see, the things that people can respond to, the things that people can give us credit and praise. I'm telling you, people came to our house as, as when we sold our house, and you asked, what did you like about the house? Well, we liked how it set off the road. We liked the curb appeal. Not one person said, you know what? That foundation is quality, right? Not one person. But everything else was worthless if that wasn't set. You and I, my fear is in our life that we're walking around and we're consumed about walls when our foundation is not set. We're consumed about a new window when everything that we could be is not who we need to be because it's not found in Him. So here's the point, I think, the story of what Jesus is saying. But you're serious. Like, but what, what do we do? I've got to have an action. I've got to have an application. I've got to have something that I step toward. Here's what I would tell us start digging. Start digging. Stop trying to put a wall on a foundation that doesn't exist. Stop letting your focus be on how do I need to modify my behavior and begin to dig your life into who Jesus is. Begin to desire long for knowing him and spending time with him and growing with him and crying out to him. Begin to place your life rooted in who he is for his glory and for his name. But here's the thing, digging's hard. Digging's not easy. Digging breaks your back and no one gives you credit for it but it's where everything is going to come from. You want to be blessed? You want to experience life with Christ, Christ alone? You want to know about the hope of what it's found? Stop stapling fruit and start digging into him. Would you pray with me? God, I come to you this morning. Lord, and my my fear for so many of us is that we're trying to live these lives of of stapling fruit, false fruit, fake fruit on, on dead trees. And we look at ourselves and we see what we've done and we think we're impressing ourselves and impressing others. Lord, but what we lack is life. And what we begin to find is where life begins where life is upheld, where growth happens and, and takes place, is in a depth, the foundation that is found in you and in you alone. So Jesus, as we're here this morning, as we begin to look through our lives and the examination of our heart and all of the things that we've tried to do in and of ourselves, Lord, may we wrestle with the one question, is it found in you? Lord, we can fake some walls, we can fake some works, we can fake some actions, we can fake some words, we can fake some attitudes. But a life that's blessed, a life that has an eternal reward, is a life that's about being. Being found in you, being saved by you, being given hope through you. we see the fruit that comes from that. Genuine fruit, real fruit. Fruit that produces fruit. Fruit that's sustaining. Fruit that's real. Fruit that's life-giving. Lord, may we not be a group of people who just try to fake it. People who have a moment in a life of sincerity, of brokenness, and repentance before you. So, God, I, I, I repent of my false fruit. I repent of all of the things that I try to do in and of myself to, to make myself better. And Lord, just come to you humbly, bowing before you. Jesus, transform me, change me, let me walk not by my own spirit, but now walk by the Spirit of God. May what comes from me brings you glory, brings you honor, bring you praise. And listen in your name we pray.